We are speaking with uh, Pat McManus, of course, from the Pat McManus Band. Some of you might remember him, of course, from Mama's Boy, a great, great European band. Uh, lots of talent, lots of great music, and, uh, of course, as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Pat. How are you? I am very well. Thank you very much, Mitch. Nice to be talking to you, man. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the other day on my uh, Twitter feed, uh, the at Mitch Lafon, I, I put a picture of Mama's Boy and I said, hey, I'm going to be talking to Pat soon. And and the reaction, I mean, I was expecting a reaction, but it was overwhelming. People were just like, oh, man, I love that band. They're so great. And then a whole bunch of people were posting tickets. And I saw them in this place and I saw them in that place. And so, hey, a lot of great love for, for, for what you've done. But let's talk about the new album, Full Service Resumed, available uh, October 8th. You can get that at patmcmanus.co.uk. Um, um, let's talk about that album. Talk to me about this new full-service resumed uh, album. Well, it's all in the title, really. You know, it was um, it was recorded, uh, Mitch, during the, the lockdown period here, you know. Right. It was, uh, the lockdown was quite severe here, so, you know, there wasn't much... Uh, there was definitely no shows or no gigs, you know, for, and there still isn't any really, to be honest with you. It's just beginning to open up. So, you know, as I, as, as I, there's only so many times you can go around and paint the house and mow the lawn and cut hedges. And so I was still left, you know, sort of twiddling my thumbs, as they say, and I, I needed something to get stuck into. So I thought, hey, you know, it's about time I was going to do another Almania, so I better knuckle down and, and start putting some ideas together, and, and uh, the full-service resumed album was the result of that. You know, it was during the lockdown. It was a difficult period for, for, for everybody, uh, in particular for musicians, because, you know, uh, I'm used to doing so, somewhere in the region of, you know, between Ireland, UK, and Europe, doing 150 shows a year. Wow. And, 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 you know, just say, yeah, you know, and suddenly for that to stop overnight, I really didn't know what to do it myself you know because that's really my bread and butter that's where i earn my money and i on being on the road like that there so i thought i'd better put it to good use and uh it sort of took a little uh, with the time that i had free on my hands i uh i recorded and wrote the songs and recorded the album that's great now the uh the deluxe edition includes four uh previously unreleased or four Bonus versions of Mama Boy songs, including uh, Belfast Boy, Too Little of You to Love, Hard Headed Ways, and uh, Belfast City Blues. Uh, talk to me about those. Are, have you reimagined them, reworked them? Are these demos that you had sitting on a cassette and you just said, hey, I'll just throw them on there? Um, no, uh, I made sure you, what actually was, they, those, those songs were part of uh, uh, the very early Mama's Boys catalog of, of albums. Right. Uh, the first two albums that we actually, first three albums we actually did, to be quite honest with you, was self-financed, done by ourselves. We had no record company uh, advance, no record company help. What we did was we kind of saved up all the money that we were making from the little shows that we were doing around Ireland at the time and put that whole money into spending a couple of days in the studio. So some of the songs on on, on those uh, first uh, three albums never seen the light of day as regards to an international release so uh, somebody said to me wouldn't it be nice to go back and remix those tracks 
again, you know, and, and sort of bring them up to date. But when I actually went to find, to look for the master tapes of those albums, they, they're gone. You right. know, they the, the disappeared. They the just disappeared. I don't know whether somebody threw them out or the studio erased them. I really don't know. So all I was left with was uh, uh, a couple of very uh, old, worn, very worn cassette tapes. So I listened to the tracks a couple of times and then just I reinterpreted them then and sort of, you know, kind of brought the, the, the music sound production up to date. So I thought it was a nice touch just to put a couple of those old tracks on there and remind people of what we were doing when we were when we were young. When so we were young, yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's a great little uh, bonus for, for the fans to have. Now, uh, what fans don't know who are listening is that we tried to do this interview yesterday and we had this long conversation about Frank Marino and then the computer shut down and everything was lost. Um, well, you, you know, I grew up, you know, <clears throat> li- uh, uh, listening to uh, <clears throat> Rory Gallagher, Gary Moore, yeah. and Frank Marino. Those uh, Frank was, uh, in my eyes, one of the greatest guitarists and artists to tread the to tread the boards ever, you know. And he was a total inspiration to me growing up. I had all his stuff, you know. And you know, I used to, used to sit there and. I listened to the live album and I just sit there and imagine what was going on because, you know, there was no YouTube or you couldn't stream anything live. So I didn't really, you know, all I seen, all I had was a few pictures of, of what was on the albums and stuff like that. But, you know, he really touched me as, as, as a guitar player. And I think in many respects, you know, Frank is the missing link between sort of the, the 70s rock guitar players and, and what was to come later on with the Steve Vais and the Joe Satrianis and the Envy Malsteams of this world. I don't think without Frank you would have got that, you know, because he definitely was a, a truly inspirational musician. And, you know, and from what I've seen and what I've heard, a, a truly inspirational and nice person as well, you know. So, you oh, know, yeah. it, 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 was, it was quite a... It was quite a learning curve for us because I grew up in a in a background of playing traditional Irish folk music, you know. Right. And uh, <clears throat> believe it or not, you know, we I gravitated then when I started to get my when I started to get my to learn the guitar, I gravitated towards the blues rock thing. You have to remember here in the UK and in Ireland, uh, you know, the punk thing was happening very very big at the time, but that didn't. That didn't much appeal to me at all. It, it, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, you know, and it was right in my generation as right. well. You know, we were we were young enough just to, to to admire the likes of those bands, the Sex Pistols and whatever. You know, so but it it wasn't what lit our fire at all. Me, myself and my three brothers. It was people like Frank, and, y- and yeah. the Thin Lizzies and the Rory Gallers of this world that really, uh, you know, uh, lit the fire. And I, I think because it was blues based. And it's a roots music, and Irish traditional folk music is a roots music. I think there was a, a common thread that sort of runs through all indigenous music like that. There, don't ask me what it is, but it's there, you know. And it was something when I heard Frank's music and Rory's music and Thin Lizzy, uh, it was something we really related to of quite course. easily. Of course, um, in fact, let me let me first of all. You're very right about Frank being super nice. I mean, he lives down the street. I've been to his house. He 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 is just so courteous, so kind, so welcoming. Um, in that vein of guitarists that sort of brought it to the next level or were doing something different, at that time in the 70s, we also had Uli John Roth. And Uli and, and, and Frank are sort of similar in the, in the way they approach the guitar and sort of, you know, they, they approach the music business. Were you also an Uli fan, and, and did he sort of light your fire? 
Uh, believe it or not, big time, and I'm, I'm, I'm a good friend of Uli's. We do some shows together. Yeah, he's great. You know, Uli's yeah, awesome. Yeah, we do in, in Europe. You know, I, I think Uli. That's that's interesting that you said that. You know, because I, I, I have this conversation with Uli about Frank. You know, yeah. And and Uli was so gracious, and 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 you know, said he was you know just a totally. And I think he brought him out on, to Europe on a couple of occasions to to play with him. You know. And uh, so yes, Uli would have been a big. I would have been a big uh, fan of of Uli's as well. Both Uli and Frank, to me, were the were the guys that are the missing links with that neoclassical and the the advancement of 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 the guitar playing that it, we know today. Without those two guys, I don't think you would have had it in the same way. I really, genuinely don't believe that. I believe that truly to be true. You know, they they were totally inspiring and. You know, I never forget when I first heard Uli play with the Scorpions. It was just like, wow, this is just a, taking it to another level altogether, you know. So between Uli and Frank, I was, I was, I was, I was listening to, to good stuff, you know. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong with Entrance or, or Mahogany Rush. I mean, you, 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 you just can't. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, uh, Mahogany Rush were my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah, were, yeah. They, were, they were an interesting band, and... It's funny how in Canada we had Mahogany Rush and Rush, and people always confused the two. It was kind of it was kind of funny. Um, let me get back. Uh, let me get over to to Mama's Boy just in in a quick sense because you know you are doing the Irish stuff. You're doing I guess sort of the the whiskey in the jar kind of inspirational stuff with the fiddle and all this. How do you transition into sort of a hard rock? And I don't want to say metal, but how do you sort of transition into that sort of hard rock kind of vein? Because you were lumped in with the new wave of British heavy metal. And I want to talk to you about that in a second, because that's 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 another sort of bizarre lumping in, if you ask me. But yeah, well, you know, it wasn't that difficult. A band that I first the very first band that I actually seen playing was a band called Horselips. And they were a rock band, but they they had they were a fusion band of, which integrated the Irish music with it. And these guys were really really clever the way they did it, you know. And it really, you know, because I'd seen myself as a as a folk purist, and I mean I'm talking heavy heavy traditional Irish music, you know. There's the commercial end of Irish music that everybody knows, but I'm talking about the real tradition, you know. And that's what I was really into, you know. So when I seen these guys uh, play for the first time. With, with loud bass guitars and drums and stuff, but they were infusing the real hardcore traditional Irish music in, into what they were doing, and they had it weaving to, throughout the songs and in, 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 in the makeup of their songs, and that really instantly appealed to me, because number one, I understood it. Uh, you know, I think if I'd gone and seen Led Zeppelin at that stage, I'd have said, forget it, because I did consider myself a, a, a folk purist. I, I wasn't I was aware of other types of music, but I wasn't particularly listening to it, you know. I was immersed in, in that tradition, but it wasn't until I seen them and I thought, hey, you know, the possibilities here are, are fantastic. And uh, I kind of went home after seeing them. They played in our local town, and I told my brothers about it, you know. And I dragged them back the next night to see this band play, and we were all hooked. And then I said, well, I'm buying an electric guitar and I delegated out the rest of the instruments to the lads. I told John, my brother, you're on bass and singing, and Tommy, you're drumming. They really had no choice in it, but that's how it really evolved, so to speak, you know. So, and it, wasn't, it was a learning curve for us as well, because we hadn't grown up listening to those type of bands and listening to Rory Geller and listening to Thin Lizzy and Depot. We hadn't. It, it kind of passed us by. 
And uh, I think Zeppelin were even broken up at the stage. They weren't even together when we got into all of that. So it was a huge learning curve. And it purely started out completely as fun. There was no ulterior motive to it. There was no, oh, let's get up there and be big stars. That never was the motivation for us to get out, to get out on the road and play. We were just having, we just wanted to emulate now our heroes that we had and just try and copy what they were doing. And, you know, we didn't really realize there was an industry there, you know, that, 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 that you could be part of. It just didn't dawn on us. It, was, it, was, it just passed us by. So right. it was a pretty much sharp learning curve. For, for us, you know, and we were still learning as we went along, you know, even though we started to, to do quite well in Ireland and stuff like that there, it, it was probably because the kids were starved here. You have to remember also, uh, the kids were starved of, of live music, Mitch, because, you know, we had the troubles here at the time, so no bands would come over here and play, you know, so you could only read about them in magazines and, 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 and maybe see the odd time when there'd be an odd appearance on television. So, you know, that's all we had. So when we took up the mantle then, all the kids of my generation, they used to all come out and see us play, you know. So that was a great inspiration to us to continue on. And that's really one thing led to another then. And, that, and that's how, how it's really started for us and how we got into doing the, the hard rock stuff. So um, let me ask you about that, because um, Ireland was, of course, uh, you know, it, it, it was... I don't want to say that it was under terrorist threat. I mean, or is that is that what it, I mean? It was it was it was tough. It was it was there was bombings. It was it, 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 everybody it, was affected by it. Right. Everybody admits everybody. It was you were living under this shadow and a cloud all the time. And as as kids, you know, you're aware of it, but you know, you know what's you like. You know, you you just shrug it off. But you know, it was a tough time. It I, wasn't. I, a, it was not a pleasant time here. You know. So, no, not at all. And and I know that as a Kiss fan, every so often, uh, Kiss fans will will say to me, you know, they've never played Ireland. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, when it was, uh, who, you know, uh, cool and happening for them, it was a dangerous place to go. But let me ask you about Mama's Boy in terms of, because you mentioned industry. Uh, you were around until 93. Yeah. You, you had the singles. You had the Mama, we're all crazy now. You had all this stuff. And yet, North America, in terms of, of major success, seems to have eluded you. And, you know, you talk to bands like Thunder and Status Quo, and the, North America seems to be this tough nut to crack. What was it about North America that you just it, you just couldn't get that foothold? You, you couldn't get that MTV play. You couldn't get that arena run. Why was North America difficult for Mama's Boy? Well, you know, there was a number of reasons being why it was difficult for us uh because number one uh the, the the main thing was that my brother tommy kept getting ill right and tommy suffered from leukemia from he was nine years old so he would ha he would have a relapse and in the end the relapse the remission periods that he was getting were getting smaller and smaller and smaller and actually we were on a canadian tour when he relapsed again and we had to come home you know and you know uh, it was one of those things where we started to get a reputation where agents and promoters and record companies were going well we don't know you know uh, we can't we can't book this band in advance we can't we can't organize a tour because we don't know if they're going to show up or not and that was a major major problem for us you know that that and all we wanted to do was get our brother better again you know yes yeah. we've done a couple of very successful tours 
of 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 North America with with Rat and Twisted Sister and mm-hmm. various other other bands. It was phenomenal. Bon Jovi. We were it was we were really on a cusp, and it was really really going well, you know, really going well. But then Tommy got ill again, and we had to come home, and, and it was the best part of two years. Uh, we were sitting idle. Uh, not wow. totally idle, but idle, you know, so we couldn't until he got better again, you know. And we always said to him, because the, you have to remember that the band was his lifeblood. He, he just yeah. lived for the band, you know. So we would say, it, you know, he says, oh, you know, we just have to get somebody else. And we said, no, we're not getting anybody else. Tommy, you're a brother. Just you get better and we'll hit the road again and try and start things up again when, when, uh, when, when you're better. But as you well know, Mitch, and in the crazy wars of, of of the music industry, two years is a long time to take out, you know. I oh, mean, yeah. we were turning down tours, you know, saying, no, wow. we, we can't do them, you know. And it really, you know, then agents and promoters and that became afraid to book us because they just thought, well, you know, these guys mightn't turn up or they might go home in the middle of a tour. So the, the, the phone stopped ringing in, in that way, you know. Wow. So it was a number of situations that led to you know, what happened to the band in the, at the end of the day. But, you know, what price your health? You know, we, all we wanted to do was, was to get our brother in, 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 in good form and, and back to full health again, you know. So it, we would take those little snippets out when we should have really been pushing and right. pushing hard. And I think it would have really, really, we would have made inroads there. We definitely would have made inroads there because we got such a reception there already. People knew who we were. It was a matter of us getting, get, getting our act together and getting a proper, uh, an album out that, that, that w- w- would get on the radio, you know. Not that we particularly tried to get on the radio, right. because I just think if you try to go for that formula, you can, you can ruin your, yourself, you know. But having said that, you know, you get all kinds of peer pressure and record company pressure to of try and, to, to get that. You, you know the story, I'm sure. Of course, so. they bring in the songwriter and they bring in the hip producer at the time, and, and yeah, the, the AOR exactly. guy comes down and... Uh, I have to say, by the way, I do have a lot of respect uh, for you for having stuck by Tommy because yeah. he was a brother, but he he is a band member. But it is the music business, and you, you do have to move along. And and instead of giving into that, instead of saying, you know what, we're gonna go do wild parties and women and be on MTV, you said, you know what, my brother's sick, and that's the priority. And um. That's just there's a lot of respect for that because a lot of people would have gone for the glory and and said hey we'll uh, we'll check in on you when we get back from the tour and and you didn't do that, and that no we did you know no one no, I wouldn't dream of it you know we're three no. three three country lads Mitch from from a farm in County Fermanagh and uh, there was no way we were ever going to do that I know we actually did to be honest well, you we had Jimmy DeGrasso contra- for a while yeah we were actually co- contractually obliged to finish a tour which we could not get out of. It was there was there was hell to pay, you know. Right. We tried to stop it, and they said absolutely no way is this going to happen. We've advertised you you owe us thousands, you know. So you know, being the little band that we were, we didn't have much money. So this is where Jim stepped into the picture and helped us out, you know. Yeah, Jim, Jim's a great a great guy, great drummer. He also drummed for uh, Megadeth and Rad eventually. Um, was that was that strange though? Because it was a contractual obligation, as you said. What, what, was there any sort of I don't want to say hate towards Jimmy, but there was was there any sort of like, ugh, you son of a gun, you, you, you know, <laughs> because it, that yeah. that does happen. You look back and you don't see your brother, and you're 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 being forced to do this. That 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 can lead to these sort of emotions of rightly or wrongly of ugh. 
You know something? I, I haven't looked back. Jim was so gracious and so such a great, awesome drummer. He came in at really, really short notes because we were really trying to pull this. And the record company said, you cannot do this, you know. So Jim came in on a, on a two-week short notice, actually flew from America wow. to, to Northern Ireland and stayed at our house with our family, with our mum and dad. And, <laughs> and we, we, yeah, really, really. And That's he great. was just absolutely awesome. If ever there was a, a brother, a brother, he was one of them. He was just totally, you know, he was such a good guy and such a great musician. And, you know, after the first four or five days rehearsing together, he had the set together. You know, it was a, it was a support we were doing. We we're actually guesting with with Gary Moore in Europe. And, right. and Jim can tell you all about that, you know, if you're ever speaking to him. But yeah. Jim really, really, I know there was no animosity. It was strange to look up there right. and see Jim behind the kit. But, uh, you know, he gave such a great account of himself. He really, oh, really, yeah. I mean, he's great. He doesn't need me or anybody. They all know the quality and, uh, of Jim, you know, a, a total professional and a totally awesome musician. So it slotted in and gelled really, really well, you know. I was really surprised, you know. And uh, what we, all I have is great memories from that time, Mitch. Um, here, in fact, I was going to follow up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the course here and ask you a different question. And I want you to... to Confirm or deny or, or explain, uh, you, of course, had a cover of Slade's Mama, We're All Crazy Now, at the same time, essentially, that Quiet Riot had Mama, We're All Crazy Now. And my understanding over the years has been, and this could be completely wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I was told that Quiet Riot then sued you for, for, for having the same, and, I, and it just never made sense to me. How could they sue you? No, nothing like that at all. Absolutely nothing like that at all. And in fact, to be quite honest, with you, you've got to realize, Mitch, at the time we did that song, we thought it would be a great idea, seeing that we were called Mama's Boys, to, have, to do the song called Mama, We're All Crazy Now. And it was pure, purely coincidence. We're, we're living in the sticks here in Ireland. We weren't aware of, of what was going on in the music industry. Yes, we were aware of Quiet Riot, but we had no idea that they were going to do the song. Really none, you know. And didn't really care either, you know. <laughs> you know, so it was um, it was just purely coincidence that that really happened. And no, they never there was never animo animosity towards any of us. Okay, or yeah, us towards them, you know. They 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 were a great band that sold millions of records, a super band. So you know, there was never anything, and you know, it was just one of those things that happened. That's at the just time, weird. You know? Okay, yeah, because somebody yeah, said you know, to me, uh, oh, we you know, Quiet Riot sued them, and I was like. How? It's not their song, so that no, doesn't make no. sense. And Absolutely so I've nothing like that ever okay. occurred, you know. Okay, because okay, yeah, uh, I've had this story in my head for years, and, I'm, and I've, I've always been, that, but that doesn't make sense. There's no cause for, for litigation. There's none. <laughs> okay. Um, they might have been a little bit annoyed with us for doing it all right, but it really wasn't done. In, in spite, in, or, or yeah, it, it was accidental. Yeah. Um, it was purely accidental, yeah. You mentioned Thin Lizzy a couple of times. You, of course, toured with Thin Lizzy on their farewell tour in 1983, I guess, something like that. Yep, that was it, Mitch, yeah. And what I love by, by, about that is a couple of things. First of all, it was a farewell tour, and in 2022, Scott has already announced, uh, Scott Gorham has already announced that the band will do some shows, so, you know, 40 years later, the reunion tour is still going. The second thing is Kiss announced a farewell tour in, in what, 2000 or and they keep going, and people always bash them, like, oh, oh, but you know what? Thin Lizzy, The Who, Ozzy Osbourne, they've all done reunion tours 30, 40 years ago, but 
That said, what was it? What was that like? Because I, I get—I don't want to say that—that that was sort of a, the, the the down end of Phil, but talk to me about about that and being around Phil if you ever got to see him. Because when we talk musical genius, yes, we talk Frank Marino, yes, we talk Uli John Roth, but I think Phil's in that discussion too, right? He he most certainly is, you know. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story about how we actually met Phil. Was I mean we were we were we were huge Thin Lizzy fans, you know. We were so proud of them. They came out of Ireland, you know. And and as I said, there wasn't much going for Ireland around that time, you know. So all my generation of kids, you know, growing up, we really, you know, looked to them as 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 people that that proved something to you that you could actually get out of Ireland and and make something of your life because it was pretty dismal here. So as it transpires, we were actually playing at a, a, a festival in Ireland. Don't laugh now. It's, called, it's a matchmaking festival. <laughs> and uh, yes, there we are, stuck in the middle of this matchmaking festival, playing a gig with our brand of, 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 of rock. And uh, Philip Linnett happened to be actually doing the same little festival. He was doing his solo career thing at the time. And he came down the festival site when we were actually, he was coming in to, the, to do it, getting preparing for his show. And he came up because he knew our manager at the time. And he, he listened to the band on the side of the stage. And he said to Joe, who was our manager at the time, Joe, he said, who are these guys? And he says, oh, they're a little band. They're just starting up, you know, and he, I, I think they have potential. And he says, they bloody well have. These guys sound great. And he offered us there and then, the, the chance to go on the farewell tour. He says, I'd love to have them come on the farewell tour uh, with us uh, when, when we say farewell to everybody. And really, that was our beginning. That was the first major breakthrough we had had. And it was thanks to Philip for, for doing that. So we got to know Philip really, really well. You know, he, he of course, it, it, it led to the tour. And he would come in every night and he would sit us down Honestly, he'd watch our show and he'd tell us what we thought we did really well and what he thought what we thought what he thought we'd done really badly as well. So you know, it was a big learning curve, Mitch. We didn't know anything about stagecraft or how to present yourself to people. And Philip, you know, said, "Look, I'm just passing on the mantle here because you know, you, you I've been through the same. So I'm I'm giving you a shortcut to all of this." So and he would come in and listen to us and. He, he, he really firmly took us under his wing and, 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 and really helped us, you know, project ourselves. And, and it, if it wasn't for that tour, I don't think uh, we would have ever really got out of Ireland, to be quite honest with you. All right. Thank, thanks to Phil. All right. So, so let me get over to this. My, my favorite topic here, the, the new wave of British heavy metal. And whenever I ask Joe Elliott or Phil Collin or any of the Def Leppard guys, they all, they all go, oh, no, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it. But here you are with, you know, Ethel the Frog and Tigers of Pantang and all these bands. Yeah. By the way, I think every band had to have an animal, right? We had the tigers, we had the, the leopards. We, right? uh, talk to me about that, because Jeff Barton, who wrote, of course, for Kerrang! and Sounds, is pretty much the one that sort of came up with this thing. And it sort of started to mean sort of really dark and death metal-y and, and, you know, somber kind of music. And that's not Mama's Boy, and that's not Def Leppard. So how did you get lumped into that, and does it hurt the career to be part of the movement? Or no, does it... No, okay. Or, or does it I help the career? So Because, uh, you know, it, it, was, it, was some, it was a new way. It was a marketing ploy on behalf of the, 
of the magazines and the record companies knew it was it, to, as far as we were concerned we didn't really mind you know we weren't going to stand up there and say oh no that's not what we're about you know it it, it was a marketing ploy on on those record com- on behalf of those record companies and the magazine to give it a new angle so you know if they lumped us in with that that was okay we didn't really really mind you know we we didn't really understand it anyhow <laughs> yeah i mean i'm I mean... hitting ourselves out to be really dumb here you know but it's <laughs> it's the case you know i mean as i said earlier on it was it was a big learning curve for us we you know we were we hadn't access to kerrang magazines and all that at the time you know it just yes we did later on but at the beginning we weren't aware of sounds magazine or melody maker right. or, until the you know somebody said they're coming in to interview us and we're going who are these guys you know oh they're from a big magazine in england called sounds sounds and we're going oh, okay okay you know so you know it, we, it didn't really bother us you know we were just glad that someone took the time to, to mention us and, to mention, and, right. and, and 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 as it transpires actually uh, we're the only band from from ireland at that period of time in the rock genre that actually got signed oh, wow. in the end you know all the rest that were around which weren't many but uh, there, there was of course uh, sweet savage which was vivian campbell's band mm-hmm. you know and vivian was the only other guitar player of my age that i knew as well you know and he was totally awesome, you know. He he was more towards Belfast. You've got to realise we were sort of a hundred miles northwest of Belfast, out in the country, you know. So you know, Viv was the only other person I knew that uh, that, that that really had his chops going down and really had a great band uh, at the time as well, you know. And I was that's one of the things that really surprised me was that Vivian's own band never got signed. I, I could never quite understand that because we did a few shows together in the very early days with, with Mama's Boys and Sweet Savage and they were just like jaw-droppingly good. It was yeah. like, here we come, these local yokels from the middle of the country saying, up we come and here's these guys that have the image and the music and the chops and we're going, oh my God, these guys are brilliant. You know? <laughs> but I, but, I'm, just, I'm just trying to imagine the uh, the bills back in those days. You know, you've got Venom, Satan, Witchfinder, General, Blitzkrieg and then, hey, it's Mama's Boy. <laughs> Did did well, that you know, name cause any concern for you, yeah, by the way? Like, the, the, it, it, because of the it, American it, connotation yeah, of ma- was, you're a mama's boy? Like, did that? Well, you know, it was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing. You know, what's in a name, really, you know? Right. Well, you know, a lot in marketing, a, a lot well, in, in the yeah, music business. You yeah. get the wrong band name or the wrong artwork on an album cover, and it can derail a career. <laughs> well, yes, and, and possibly, you know, looking back on it now, you know, uh, you're possibly absolutely correct there, you know. If we had been heavy this or, you know, poison that or something like that, there it probably would have yeah, or, 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 you know, Mama's Devils or Satan's yeah. Boys. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, you know. <laughs> but we just thought it was tongue-in-cheek, you know, and, and, and it was really funny because we were the exact opposite of what the, what the, 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 the name said. You know? right, so the connotation, right? A, a clever thing, you know, but it, uh, in retrospect, now probably looking back, it didn't really help us. <laughs> well, I'm just because I, I, I think of it from the, you know, the American perspective, you know, if you're on a, you know, a football team, an American football team, not a soccer team, and you go, hey, you're a mama's boy, that ain't a compliment. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, that, that, that's... I guess it isn't. <laughs> no. Um, when, uh, when the band uh, finally... Uh, disbanded. It had, of course, uh, everything to do with with your brother's passing. Since that time, has there ever been a thought of maybe we'll go play a show in his honor? Maybe we'll we'll go do a set of all this music. Maybe we'll just 
we'll give it one more thing and 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 do it in his memory or is it like no it's no. it's not the band no. he's not here forget no. it we're done we 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 john and my brother my, myself and my brother john we decided there and then when 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 tommy passed that that was it that was you it. know and there was no going back on it and yes we've been asked numerous occasions mm-hmm. uh, promoters in japan mm-hmm. uh, all over europe just chomping at the bit going come on you you guys can do it but we don't want to do it i want to leave the memory as it was it was what it was at the time without him being there it wouldn't work yes we've done one show uh, i will admit that we did a charity show in belfast about eight nine years ago where my brother John just got up and did a few songs with my with my band right. just in in the set, and other than that, that's the only time we've ever, and it and he couldn't even remember the lyrics of the song. I was whispering them in his ear as we were doing. <laughs> no, but I mean it's 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 a little bit like Led Zeppelin and and John Bonham. I mean I, I, yeah. there are some things that should be special and should be. This is what it is, and if it's not that, then it's not that. It's it's not going to happen. Exactly, you know, and we we all move on in in, in life as well, you know, yeah. and you all get different things to do, and and you know, you get consumed with with living and and and, and everything else like that. There, so you know, it, as I said, the opportunity, but it just it didn't feel right to us to to try and go out. And I know there was a lot of bands in the last few years that have got back together again, and 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 they're going out on these nostalgic tours, and we could have got any amount of those, but mm-hmm. you know, for me. That's that's not what the band was about. The band with three brothers. I I say we were we were an ear and man's delight because you know three brothers. You know mm-hmm. it, it was the first boy band. I always say <laughs> 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 you know. Well, wasn't that the Beatles? Weren't the Beatles the first boy band? Let's be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but three brothers. Oh no, 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 no. no that, you were that's right. You're the uh, Irish Menudo. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> Mitch. You know, so you know, I haven't said that. You know, it, it, I just felt it, it, and my brother felt the same, that, you know, leave those memories alone. They were great memories. And, you know, people, you know, I, I didn't want to do it without my brother Tommy being there. You know, it just no. didn't sit right with us, you know. And again, uh, I, I, will, I will throw the respect card your way because so many people would have taken the cash. So many people, especially in the 80s, they would have taken the booze and the ladies and the whole thing. And, and you're about the brotherhood. <laughs> Believe you me, Mitch, I could do with the cash. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And and listen, you you could you could solve that problem by saying, okay, uh, Udo in Japan, Mama's boy is coming for a, a ten show tour, and they would pay you handsomely. But yeah. your brother's not there, and you're not going to no. do it. And I, I have and, uh, ultimate you know, respect for that. Yeah, and I, I told you, you can't call it the Mama's because uh, you know that's all it ever was was the three brothers. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't anything else other than that. There'd be no no personnel changes at all in the band. There were never going to be any personal uh, personnel changes in the band because mm-hmm. we were three brothers for a start. So you know that just wasn't going to happen. So when one of them, uh, uh, when that came apart uh, with, with with his passing, that was it as far as we were concerned. You know, so as we it should on that. as it should be. It's 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 the right choice. Uh, let me remind the folks that the Pat McManus band full service resumed is available now at patmcmanus.co.uk. And uh, as we say here in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. And thank you for for coming back after yesterday's uh, disastrous computer meltdown that we had and couldn't record. But uh, very gracious. An absolute pleasure to talk to you, man. And give my love to Frank Marino and his family and tell them we're all praying for him here. 
Yeah, uh, and, and if folks haven't heard, uh, Frank uh, canceled his tour uh, because he's ill. So uh, everybody, just throw a, throw some thoughts his way, and let's uh, let's keep the music alive. Um, merci, merci, thank you. That was great. Okay, merci, thank you, Mitch. God bless. All right.